Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Headstock with me, Lane Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. hospitality series on Heads Talk with my guest, who has had more than 30 years leadership experience in North Africa, Middle East and Turkey, both in the military and the corporate world. He currently holds an executive position in the aviation and aerospace sector, and we're going to hear all about his views on the current landscape and how his organisation, the world's largest aerospace company and leading provider of commercial airplanes, defence, space and security systems, fared during the pandemic. An interesting discussion awaits my listeners today on Headstalk. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is powered by Boeing. Headstalk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Bernard J. Dunn is the president of Boeing Middle East, Turkey and Africa, as well as the VP of Boeing International. American by birth, Bernard has spent a large portion of his career in the military, where he served as an officer, as well as a military attaché in Jordan, Syria and Saudi Arabia. He's an expert in international strategic defence and business policy implementation, and as a result has developed key relationships with leaders on a national level in a number of Middle Eastern countries. Some interesting facts about Bernard is that he has led and negotiated partnerships and agreements with various organisations for the benefit of Boeing. He speaks Arabic and has been listed in the top 50 executives leading international companies in Forbes Middle East. Let's hear from Bernard himself about what's going on in Boeing and the industry during these times. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Bernard to Head's Talk. Thrilled and delighted to have you here today. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. It's a great pleasure for me to join you and to have an opportunity to talk about our business. So thank you. Thank you. Well, once again, great to have you here today um, on Headstalk, and I'm delighted that you've agreed to talk with me and my listeners about Boeing and, and your perspective on things in this current and very unusual climate we are living in at the moment. Right, let's get into uh, it, and I will simply ask first, knowing what we know now and still living in this situation, what is Boeing's market outlook, and how do you think the industry's recovery reboot, restart plans even, are progressing? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, it's, been a, it's been a tough period for all of us in the aviation industry, not just Boeing, but all the aircraft manufacturers as well as suppliers and whatnot. You know, um, prior to COVID, we had a decade of above average passenger traffic growth and record profitability as an industry. Mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic came along and delivered an extraordinary demand shock to air travel last year. Mm -hmm. uh, while aviation has seen periodic demand shocks since the beginning of the jet age, the magnitude and breadth of this current downturn surpasses those we've seen previously. And just to give you an idea of uh, sort of the impact on civil aviation in 2020, um, uh, capacity has been down by about 50% in terms of seats offered. Uh, about 2.7 billion fewer passengers flew worldwide, mm. and airlines lost about $371 billion in revenue. That's uh, wow. That wiped out several years of, of their profit and hard work. And, um, you know, that said, 
we have seen a long run uh, in the long run our our industry always recovers and will recover from this one and uh, we're already seeing that happen and so to to your question mm -hmm. on our market outlook uh, Elaine let me just say this um, we view 2021 as a key inflection point uh, as vaccine distribution accelerates and passenger traffic gains momentum mm -hmm. in key markets in the large domestic markets such as the United States, uh, China, and to a certain extent Europe, we're seeing relatively robust traffic volumes and airlines are getting their fleets back in order and they wanna get back to full schedules. Uh, the, the International Air Transport Association, IATA, predicts that by 2023, global passenger traffic will surpass the pre-COVID uh, levels right driven by economic strength, increased vaccinations and pent up demand. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we've already seen uh, lots of evidence of the pent up demand. I'll talk about that in a moment. We've mm -hmm. also seen uh, uh, where the airlines are going in terms of their own, uh, their own optimism about the future. Uh, you've probably seen the recent uh, orders, uh, huge orders of Boeing 737 MAX aircraft from both Ryanair and United Airlines just last week. And, uh, you know, Ryan just yesterday announced uh, an intention to hire 2,000 new pilots to fly the, uh, the 210 yeah. aircraft yeah, that they're on that. order right yeah. now. Yeah. So this is an example of uh, an indication of the, the optimism that we in the industry are feeling and, and, and actually seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you if you look at the, the the numbers, and we track this on a weekly basis, the world at large is at about seventy four percent of where it was uh, right before the pandemic in the in the middle of January of twenty twenty. Uh, the USA is at about eighty eight percent, and, and uh, Europe at about eighty six percent. So, when you consider where we were in July of last year where the numbers were way, way down. Mm -hmm. You know, we've come a long way on the road to recovery right now. Uh, mm -hmm. We're continuing that recovery. Mm -hmm. And by 2023, we will have surpassed uh, uh, where we were in 2019 before the pandemic. So we're feeling pretty good about it. And we believe that that recovery is gonna come in three phases, Elaine. Uh, first, domestic, uh, and you know most of the growth that I've just cited in in Europe, United States, and uh, and China, has actually been domestic air travel. Uh, what's lagging right now is long haul international travel. So we we think it's going to come back in three sort of phases. First would be domestic, that is already happening like gangbusters right now, particularly in the United States. Uh, then intra-regional, and that kind of is where, where, we are, where we are in Europe and to some extent the Middle East. And then the long-haul uh, international routes will come last. Uh, and, you know, business has kind of learned to work virtually. And so, uh, you know, people yeah. have continued to do their business and, yeah. and have not found the need to get on planes and travel internationally to do that. However, the mood is definitely returning to, uh, to uh, an idea that we want to return to do face-to-face -face meetings. And we're very confident that even business travel uh, will come back and raise those long haul international routes that we've, that we've all become accustomed to. Um, and in order to expand this international air travel, Boeing supports a data-driven global approach that promotes safe, efficient travel and stabilizes the aviation industry. And um, 
Screening and testing protocols encourage safe travel, minimize quarantine re re requirements. Mm -hmm. We were proud to join Airbus and IATA recently to discuss how these methods can help enable travel and ensure the health of passengers and prevent uh, transmission. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that a little bit later in this podcast, if yes, you'd like. Of course, of course. And it's really great to, to hear some of the positive stuff that you've just mentioned that's happening, as I know, through this series, you know, uh, we've been talking to very senior execs in the aviation sector over a period of time. And it's kind of nice to see the stories are getting a little bit warmer, a little bit more hopeful, and you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. So thank you for that. And of course, yes, we're going to talk about more about that later on in the episode. But I want to still stick with the impact. You know, this podcast is called Heads Talk. The slogan is a fly on the boardroom wall. Um, what serious and uncomfortable conversations should or are being had in the boardrooms across the industry? What were you saying to each other? What are you still saying to each other about this? This hit all, the, the entire industry very unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, you know, everyone paused for a moment uh, in trying to figure out what to do. But what I can tell you is um, there's been fantastic collaboration over the last 20 months, mm -hmm. you know, not only within the industry, but also with government partners. And this became very important. And, um, uh, you know, I think that some of the things that we learned were, were um, the need to collaborate, the need to show leadership, uh, and that's both within the industry and within our, our own organizations, because we had uh, our own employees, um, you know, wondering what does this mean for me and what does this mean for my job and for my industry. Yep. So uh, it, it took quite a bit of creative leadership to kind of figure out the way forward mm -hmm. and to keep, keep businesses viable and alive. And it took a great collaboration with governments as well uh, to bring everybody together in a way that we could move forward on, um, on all the things that needed to be done. And I would tell you that's still a work in progress. It has not yeah. been fully completed yet, but much work was done and, uh, and you, you're seeing the results of that now. Okay, that's good. Um, the sort of final question about impact. Um, uh, you're based in, in the UAE, and I think I mentioned that in the introduction. Um, has the impact been felt differently in, in the MENA or the META region, as opposed to the US and Europe? Um, for example, you mentioned the US and the Europe uh, going forward, but has the impact been differently in the MENA region? Yeah, it has. Um, you know, the recovery that I mentioned a little while ago has been uneven around the world. And, yeah. um, and that's due to a number of factors. And one of, the, one of the most important factors is whether or not it has uh, a, a region or a country has a domestic market. And um, mm -hmm. so the, the three that I highlighted to you, United States, uh, China and Europe, of mm -hmm. course, have very robust, large domestic markets. Yeah. Uh, the, the Middle East uh, is is different in that, by and large, it does not have much of a domestic market. Everything in this region is an international flight, as you can imagine. You you have only a couple or three large uh, markets, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, for example, Turkey, where where uh, there is a there is a domestic uh, uh, aviation market. For smaller countries, such as the one I live in, United Arab Emirates, there is mm -hmm. no domestic market. And so 
you know, the, the, the Middle East, uh, uh, North Africa region has come in a little bit differently than the others, but it, it's still doing quite strong, as I might say. The Middle East is right now at about 64% uh, recovery as compared to where it was right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's not quite where United States, China, or 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 Europe are, but um, it puts it on par with Latin America and uh, ahead of the Asia Pacific region, which is being hit very hard by now, right now by by the pandemic, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and it puts it ahead of Africa. So, um, uh, you know, we still uh, feel very optimistic about the future growth of, uh, of the civil aviation industry in the Middle mm-hmm. East. Mm-hmm. Um, our, uh, our, pro- our growth projection is uh, uh, about a 4.3% per year uh, growth in aviation, which compares to the global growth rate predicted of about 4%. And so mm-hmm. the Middle East could actually exceed the, uh, the global growth rate. Um, we're, we forecast that Middle East carriers are, are, are going to need about 2,945 aircraft over the next uh, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of those will actually be wide-body aircraft because of the nature of their flying here. Since there's no domestic market, the market is largely for wide-body long-haul aircraft. And that's where the Boeing 787 and 777 will will come on very strong in this region as they all already have been. Mm-hmm. They'll make up about half of the deliveries and uh, that actually rep- represents the highest wide body market share uh, of any place on the globe. Middle East has always led with, uh, with wide bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're looking for Middle East uh, civil aviation traffic to multiply uh, by about 240%, i.e. more than double with Europe uh south and southeast asia being the top three destinations um we're looking at uh in that same 20 years uh they're going to need about 200 and they're going to create about 223,000 new jobs mm-hmm. in the aviation sector uh that's about 58,000 pilots to fly those airplanes that i mentioned yeah. about 59,000 te- uh, technicians and about 106,000 cabin crew right. um this projection that I've just given you is, is a slight drop from what we projected right before the pandemic, but very slight. We're still bullish on uh, the growth in, uh, in the MENA region, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're quite optimistic about it. And, uh, you know, one of the factors that drives that, Elaine, is the fact that 85% of the world's population lives within an eight-hour flight of the, uh, the Arabian Gulf, which uh, continues to enable strong growth. And so we're bullish on the region and uh, we're, we're all in on the Middle East and North Africa right now. So geographically perfectly placed by the looks of things. Absolutely. Okay, let's move away from the, the impact and um, I'd like to look at the lessons learned. Um, granted, we're still in the pandemic, so this may be a little premature, but um, do you think the industry's better prepared now for uh, another potential pandemic or even a third wave new variants outbreak and actually can you even plan for this <laughs> yeah that's a really good question i would say that um the industry has come together in a way that it never did before and i, and I was alluding earlier to uh the 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 public private partnerships the government partnerships with industry that were necessitated and created uh 
based on this pandemic. And mm -hmm. uh, so much work has been done in the last 20 months, and we've seen a, a, a tremendous amount of collaboration, mm -hmm. and uh, particularly with regulators and governments. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's brought us to the point where we are now with, as I mentioned, uh, uh, a, a global recovery of, uh, of about 74% of where mm -hmm. we were before the, before the pandemic, but there's still work to do. Uh, and, you know, if you could summarize what the collaboration has been all about, it has been sort of a threefold thing. Number one, preventing the coronavirus from even entering the air traffic uh, travel ecosystem. Yeah. In other words, uh, keeping that virus from even getting into an airport. And the airports have done an incredible job of of mitigating the effects of the virus. I mean, anyone who's been in an airport in the last 20 months has noticed changes, uh, you know, uh, social distancing being mandated by the way they, they move you through the lines and whatnot. You've seen plexiglass going up on check-in counters. Uh, you've seen everybody masked and whatnot. Same on the airplane itself. Second point is to protect the airplane and keep it free of viruses and don't let that virus board the airplane. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's been quite a bit of work and quite a bit of messaging uh, out to the world. I've done some of it myself on um, just how safe it is to fly in terms of, uh, of the, the cabin air. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you've heard us talk about uh, HEPA filters in the past, uh, uh, high efficiency particulate air filters. Yeah. which exchange the air on an airplane uh, about every two to three minutes. And uh, yeah. the, the air circulates from the ceiling down to the floor rather than horizontally. Many people were initially afraid, well, what if I'm on an airplane and someone behind me sneezes? You know, we've done lots and lots of scientific tests uh, to determine how do those particles flow? And the fact of the matter is they don't flow horizontally. They flow downward and out the airplane. And so... Uh, you know, many, many people, including myself, many times now since the pandemic started, have flown on planes. Mm -hmm. And the incidence of transmission of COVID is minuscule, minuscule. So I think we've demonstrated uh, over time and with the help of regulators and airlines and airports that um, uh, you can fly on, uh, commercially very safely and people are doing it every day. And um, you know, uh, uh, I think the industry is always looking to develop new tools and technologies. Uh, Boeing itself has been working on some of these uh, mm -hmm. for some time now, and we accelerated some of that during the pandemic. The use of ultraviolet light, for example, to disinfect surfaces, and particularly the surfaces in, uh, in, in the cockpit itself. Um, there's been all sorts of materials that you can use to wipe down a surface and, and disinfect it. But um, some of those were unfriendly to an airplane cockpit because of the, you know, the sensitivity of the instruments and whatnot. And so we've kind of uh, accelerated the use of ultraviolet lights and ultraviolet wands to do things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've also been involved with industries in creating antimicrobial anti coatings mm -hmm. that, uh, that, protect the surface. And, um, and then there's been thermal disinfection too. We've been collaborating with lots of folks on thermal disinfection of, of uh, certain surfaces. And there, there's just been a lot of work in all of these areas and certainly not just by Boeing, 
but, yeah. uh, the, the industry as a whole, yeah. uh, governments and regulators. And it's, uh, I think, proven quite successful. And, uh, you know, more and more people are flying on airplanes now. And um, what, what there might be left to do is uh, kind of a standardized um, approach to the whole thing, kind of like what we had after 9-11. And um, we can get into that a little bit if you'd like. Uh, but certainly uh, where we are now is, is a remarkable amount of collaboration from all concerned in the industry. And I think that does prepare us for uh, another outbreak or another pandemic or um, uh, whatever calamity might be out there, because this brought us all closer than we've we've seen in in a hundred years. I would say. Mm. You know, I've 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 asked this question about opportunities presented as a as a result of the the pandemic. So thank you very much for providing us with um, some examples of some of the work Boeing has been doing. And, and some of the opportunities to be presented to Boeing um, during that period. Um, I, I wanna stick, before I move on, with, with the governments. You talked about the fantastic collaboration um, with the governments. And sometimes, depending on who you ask, you get conflicting views on the effectiveness and success of the help provided by governments to businesses in various sectors. And let's just concentrate on the aviation sector for this question. What additional roles Going forward, do you think the government or public bodies should play? What responsibility must they have? Yeah, it's an excellent question, Elaine. And, you know, um, we're seeing the effects of it every single day. I think I could summarize it by saying that one area that still requires attention is providing travelers with a clear and consistent set of international requirements and standards. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we're working with governments and industry associations to uh, try to ensure that. But what, what do you see going on right now? Well, you see um, uh, some countries that have a quarantine, some do not. Yeah. Uh, some have differing views of what it takes uh, to allow a person into the country. Is it just a PCR test? Uh, is it a vaccination? What does it take to get on an airplane to go to a certain place? Is it a vaccination or just a PCR test within a certain uh, time frame. If it's a vaccination, is there a consistent way of, of demonstrating that vaccination? You've got all sorts of certificates and, and vaccination cards and apps and stuff out there. And when you're talking about global travel, it's extremely difficult to, to uh, streamline and synergize all of that in a way that, that an airport uh, official in one airport can understand uh, what an airport official across the globe mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. implemented in his place and, and allowed for travel. And so one of the things, one of the barriers to travel is the inconsistency which, which makes people reluctant to travel. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the next step in this whole process and what we can continue to be working on as we already have started is to develop that consistency. And, yes. you know, you, you saw it develop after 9-11. Uh, unfortunately, that, uh, that, that uh, act caused the world to come together with a consistent set of standards for boarding an aircraft uh, in terms of protecting uh, from terrorism, mm -hmm. terror threats. Now we kind of need that same consistent set of standards across the globe to tell us what we need to do to get on an airplane in terms of protection from COVID. And, uh, and 
people are working on that, but you can see the confusion that it's causing yeah. and uh, every country has its own way of doing it. And, um, you know, really the next step and the next level is to uh, synergize that across the world and, and try to um, uh, arrive at a common standard. And that is in process. And that's probably much tougher than keeping the virus off the airplane in the first place. All right. Okay. Well, let's hope. I mean, basically, what you're saying it just screams consistency is needed because of the global nature of the whole thing. So let's just hope that it's done sooner rather than later. Okay, a change of direction um, with these next set of questions. Um, it's a hot topic, and one that I'm sure um, has been discussed frequently among your peers and especially in your industry. It's about corporate social responsibility um, and what is termed as um, the, the sustainability agenda. And the fact that people are now more conscious of their carbon footprint and their impact in the environment. There is a big drive now for SAF, Sustainable Aviation Fuels. Programs are being set up, conversations are being had about the introduction of this and how to scale it. Um, I'd be very interested to know what is Boeing doing in this space and what plans and commitments have been agreed? Yeah, so I'll tell you, uh, Boeing in the industry have been committed for a number of years to uh, carbon neutral growth from 2020 onwards and a 50% reduction of emissions by 2050 relative to uh, 2005 levels. And uh, Boeing itself has invested more than $60 billion in this over the last 10 years, Elaine, in, in key strategic areas, including innovative technologies such as the digital thread, carbon composite materials and advanced high uh, bypass ratio engine designs mm -hmm. and other aerodynamic improvements such as natural laminar flow, which reduces drag to improve environmental efficiency. Uh, most recently, we announced our latest echo demonstrator uh, program that will flight test about 20 technologies on a brand new 737-9 in order to enhance safety and sustainability. So we have kind of a three-pronged uh, approach to reducing emissions. Uh, and, and those would be number one, fleet renewal. Mm -hmm. uh, the airplanes that we deliver this year will be as much as 15 to 25% more fuel efficient than the airplanes that they're replacing. Most significant, this is the most significant contribution to carbon emissions reduction over the next decade is simply modernizing fleets around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, Secondly, network operational efficiencies to include air traffic control. We're always looking into ways that the industry can collaborate on how to fly and operate more efficiently, uh, which can collectively reduce emissions by another 12% or so, you know, and that relates to uh, how do you approach an airport upon landing uh, with, with, you know, do you do a smooth approach or do you step down the approach uh, based on altitude and, and distance mm -hmm. flown. And the third is renewable energy, uh, including sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, these offer the best potential to significantly reduce emissions on larger long range aircraft for the next several decades. Uh, sustainably produced jet fuel is safe, proven and used every day around the world. Uh, we at Boeing have made a commitment that our commercial airplanes will be capable and certified to fly on 100% sustainable aviation fuels by 2030, all of our airplanes. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, what I'd like to uh, mention is that we have just now announced a partnership 
with a leading uh, uh, SAF producer, that's Sky NRG, a Dutch company, mm -hmm. to advance the supply of SAF globally, sustainable aviation fuel. Boeing will invest in the first dedicated sustainable aviation production facility in the United States, uh, which is expected to supply sustainable aviation fuels to airports, airlines, mm -hmm. and Boeing operations along the west coast of the United States. So look for that announcement. We've just announced it, and uh, it's an important step forward for us in this particular space. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um... I wonder, were you Boeing already on this path or as the pandemic expedited some of the mentioned developments um, in, in this space? Yeah, the truth is we've been on this path for a long time. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've always been looking to future technologies, Elaine, and uh, always conducting research with, internally as well as with various partners. Uh, mm -hmm looking at even more highly efficient turbofan engines in addition to electric and hydrogen powered airplanes. We've been working on hydrogen and fuel cell applications for aviation mm -hmm. for over 15 years to include five flight demonstration programs. Yes. Uh, it, what we've learned is that electric and hydrogen technologies are unlikely to be ready for the next generation of single aisle airplanes. Mm -hmm. uh, more, more work needs to be done. Uh, what we are what we're also doing is testing uncrewed electric powered aerial vehicles for passengers and cargo mm -hmm. aimed at market segments that will reduce urban congestion and emissions from mm -hmm. vehicles on the ground and so that that's kind of in the area of uh, hydrogen and, and electric but i i can't leave the subject of cool things that boeing has been doing for a while that uh, i can't leave that subject without mentioning our work in the field of uh, autonomous uh, uh, applications in for aviation. Uh, and there are some really neat things that we've been doing. Uh, some of it is in the defense sector, if I could just depart there for a moment. Um, we have now developed, uh, tested and flown what we call the MQ-25 Stingray. This is an unmanned aerial refueling system designed for naval applications. It looks like a big bulbous aircraft. And the objective is that it supports US Navy operations off of carriers far at sea, where you cannot get back to land and fuel. And, um, and, and, and what happens is the, the aircraft uh, literally finds its way from the carrier where it's tanked up, up to where the, the, the aircraft are that are in the fight and need to be tanked. And then it flies its way back to the carrier. And it doesn't know whether it's day or night. It doesn't know whether there's a storm or it's a sunny day. And uh, it gets itself back onto that carrier, tanks up and flies off again. And it does this all uh, autonomously. Uh, we made history with the MQ-25 uh, last June, uh, a month ago, being the first uh, unmanned aircraft to refuel another aircraft uh, autonomously. It's safely, safely refueled a U.S. Navy F&A-18 Super Hornet. It can also refuel Boeing uh, EA-18G Growlers and Lockheed Martin F-35 fighters. So that happened last month. We're really proud of it. Another thing we've done in the defense space is what we call loyal wingman. It kind of looks like a fighter airplane, except it does not have a cockpit. It's autonomously flown. It's an uncrewed military aircraft designed uh, and manufactured in Boeing, Australia. Mm -hmm. Had its first test flight with the Australian Air Force in April of this year. 
It's an innovative new capability to complement and extend air power combat and missions. The first loyal wingman aircraft is serving as the foundation for the Boeing air power teaming system mm -hmm. being developed for various global defense customers. The aircraft flies alongside other platforms using artificial intelligence to team with existing crewed and uncrewed assets to complement mission capabilities. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like a fighter aircraft that flies along with you, except there's no pilot. It flies autonomously, conducts missions just as the crewed aircraft does, taking commands from the crewed aircraft or other sources. And uh, it just, uh, it, it's a combat multiplier for, uh, for what we're doing in the military side. And then uh, uh, back on the civilian side for a bit, but also under the autonomous category, uh, I'd like to mention that under our venture capital arm, which we call Horizon X, Mm -hmm. We're investing in a few disruptive unmanned techno uh, technology companies such as WISC, uh, which is focused on shaping the future of urban air mobility. WISC is the first company in the United States to develop and successfully fly an autonomous, all-electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. It has completed over 1,500 full-scale flights since 2017 with zero incidents. Last year, WISC and the New Zealand government announced their partnership to trial an aircraft called Cora. This is the world's first autonomous air taxi and involves Boeing's subsidiary in C2 Pacific. Mm -hmm. We're partnered with these guys to do essentially uh, autonomous aerial taxis. So we're, we're quite proud of that and it's very cool stuff and I had to mention all of that. Oh, that, that's absolutely fascinating. It almost sounds borderline sci-fi. And um, <laughs> let's let's end this episode um, with this question about leadership. Um, I'm very interested to hear your feedback on that. As stated in the introduction, you have had and you've been a leader that has worn many different hats in many different situations. I presume a lot of them are extremely challenging. Um, you've been a military leader and a corporate leader. This pandemic, though not unique, is unique to our generation and has tested us in so many ways. You name it, mentally, resilience, physically. Um, what, as a leader, are your takeaways from this? Bear in mind, it's not over yet. Again, another great question, Elaine. And, uh, you know, these times have been unprecedented and have been very tough on everyone, as you well know. Mm. And it doesn't matter where in the world you, you've been. It's been uh, an isolating experience. It's been a difficult experience we've watched uh, uh, lots of people have a, a very hard time we've lost people uh, I mean all of us have lost uh, friends family colleagues whatever and so it, it really was and has been a good reminder of what good leadership should entail um, uh, several things here I think first of all we all learn the importance of adaptability and of good communications. Uh, we found that communicating with our employees was absolutely key. And particularly when everyone was working from home, uh, you know, it was very easy to kind of uh, go into a zone and, and, and become isolated and uh, detached from the reality, both the reality of, of, of the world, but also the reality of what's going on in the company. And so we found that, um, that uh, reaching out to our employees on a continuous basis was key and we mm -hmm. implemented measures to do that. Uh, you know, at, at, at the Boeing company, the health and health and safety of our workforce uh, is always and always has been our top priority. So we were very quick to adopt a telling 
telecommuting workplace model that uh, we did that early on and uh, ensuring that we could find ways to stay engaged, informed and connected with our employees and our customers. And we were doing innovative things like um, uh, having folks send in, you know, things that they cooked or activities they were doing at home. Some people were, uh, were, were learning new skills, doing some dancing, whatever, you know, we would, we would post these for everybody to see. We did a beard growing contest for the guys and uh, just, just ways to keep people engaged and have some fun and, and, and keep the morale up. And I'd say it worked. Uh, we, we had to be more deliberate in our communication and engagement. And uh, as leaders, we also needed to be thoughtful and flexible as each employee navigated these changes differently and had different, different personal circumstances. I think one of the things that we learned is there is no one size fits all approach or, or one size, one, one answer to all of this. The key thing as a leader is to be asking yourself questions like, how do I help my teams navigate these changes? How do I support them and keep them engaged? How do I address different personal circumstances? And how do we provide our customers the support they need to navigate these challenging times? And um, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's been actually um, a very good, uh, a, a bad experience, but a good experience. One that I would never have asked for and one that I've never wished on anybody, but uh, for all of us, I, I think uh, we learned and, and we gained and, um, and we improved our leadership skills. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. You know, the, the, the pandemic has, has given a new meaning to um, workforce well-being and, and leaders like yourself are really rising to the challenge and looking after your employees. Bernard J. Dunn, it's been an absolute pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you so much, Elaine. It's been a pleasure as well. And thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.